Chapter 4, Part 16 of the Works of Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume 10. Ingersoll's Closing Address to the Jury in the Second Star Root Trial. Part 16 of 24. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by William Jones. Now, gentlemen, the next witness to whose testimony I will invite your attention is Mr. Boone. Mr. Boone was relied upon by the government to show that this conspiracy was born in the brain of Mr. Dorsey, that these other men were simply tools and instrumentalities directed by him, that he was the man who devised this scheme to defraud the government, and that it was Dorsey who suggested the fraudulent subcontracts. They brought Mr. Boone upon the stand for that purpose, and I do not think it is improper for me to say that Mr. Boone was swearing under great pressure. It is disclosed by his own testimony that he had eleven hundred roots, and that he had been declared a failing contractor by the department. And it also appeared in evidence that he had been indicted some seven or eight times. Gentlemen, that man was swearing under great pressure. I told you once before that the hand of the government had him clutched by the throat and the government relied upon his testimony to show how this conspiracy originated. Now I propose to call your attention to the evidence of Mr. Boone on this subject. On page 1352, Mr. Boone swears substantially that on his first meeting with Stephen W. Dorsey, that is, after they met at the house, he said to Dorsey that he... Boone would be satisfied with a one-third interest. Now the testimony of Boone is that Mr. Dorsey then and there agreed that he might have the one-third interest. Mr. Dorsey says it is not that way that he told him that when the others came they would probably give him that interest or something to that effect. Mr. Boone further swears that when J. W. Dorsey did come, there was a contract, or articles of agreement, you may call them, handed to him by J. R. Minor, purporting to be articles of partnership between John W. Dorsey and himself, and that he signed these articles. That that, I believe, was on the 15th of January, 1878, and that it was by virtue of that agreement that he had one-third. It was not by virtue of any talk he had with S.W. Dorsey that he got an interest, and you will see how perfectly that harmonizes with the statement of Stephen W. Dorsey. Mr. Dorsey's statement is, I cannot make the bargain with you, but when John W. Dorsey comes, I think he will, or they will. It turned out that when John W. Dorsey did come in January, he did enter into articles of partnership with A. E. Boone, and did give him the one-third interest. 
so the fact stands out that he got the one-third interest from john w dorsey and not from stephen w dorsey if the paper had been written and signed by stephen w dorsey that would uphold the testimony of boone if boone had said i made the bargain with stephen w dorsey and the articles of co-partnership were signed by him i submit that that would have been a perfect corroboration of boone stephen w dorsey swears that the bargain was made with john w dorsey and you find that the agreement was signed by john w dorsey and not by stephen w dorsey i submit therefore that this is a perfect corroboration of the testimony of stephen w dorsey at page fifteen forty four mr boone says that as a matter of fact all contractors endeavored to keep what they were doing secret from all other contractors think of the talk we have heard about secrecy if the bidders upon any of these routes did not want the whole world to know the amount they had bid that secrecy was tortured into evidence of a criminal conspiracy if john w dorsey did not want the world to know what he was doing if mr boone wanted to keep a secret these gentlemen say it is because they were engaged in a conspiracy to defraud the government and crime loves the darkness but what does mr boone say as a matter of fact that all contractors endeavored to keep what they were doing secret from all other contractors where they feared a rivalry of course that is human nature mr boone further says that he never knew of one contractor admitting even that he was going to bid he always pretended don't you see that he was not going to bid he wanted to throw the other contractors off their guard he did not want them to imagine that he was figuring upon the same route because if they thought he was they might put in a much lower bid he wanted them to feel secure so that they would put in a good high bid and then if he put in a tolerably low bid he would get the route that is simply human nature mr boone further says that always when a letting came on he had his bids in that the contractors kept their bids secret from rival contractors not for the purpose of defrauding the government but for the purpose of taking care of their business now gentlemen when men make these proposals and keep their business secret as it turns out in these cases they were keeping their business secret the fact that they were doing so is not evidence going to show that they were keeping that business secret because they have conspired have you not the right to draw the inference and is it not the law that you must draw the inference that they kept their business secret for the same reason that all honest men keep their business secret on page fifteen forty five mr boone swearing again about his talk with mr dorsey that night after the arrangement was concluded says that he dorsey told him to be careful of elkins because elkins was representing roots and cairns large contractors the largest in the department at that time in the southwest 
and yet that evidence has been alluded to as having in it the touch and taint of crime because s w dorsey said to boone to say nothing to elkins who was elkins he at that time as appears from the evidence was the attorney of roots and cairns and who were they amongst the largest if not the largest contractors in the department that is the largest in the southwest mr boone stated that the letter of peck to s w dorsey requested him to get some men who knew the business to look after the bids or proposals now i want to ask you gentlemen and i want you to answer it like sensible men if stephen w dorsey got up a conspiracy himself why was it that peck wrote to him asking him to get some competent man to collect the information about the bids that is about the country about the routes about the cost of living about wages the conditions of the roads and the topography of the country if it was hatched in the brain of stephen w dorsey how is it possible gentlemen that a letter was written to him by peck asking him to get a competent man to gather that information mr boone swears that he had such a letter mr boone swears that dorsey showed the letter to him mr boone swears that in consequence of that letter he went to work to gather this information did mr dorsey do anything about gathering information nothing did he give any advice none did he ask any questions not one did he interfere with mr boone in the business never you know that was a very suspicious circumstance i believe there was a direction given that letters be sent to james h kepner that was another suspicious circumstance mr boone swears that he was also in the mail business that he did not want the letters to go to some place that he had to give at the department an address that thereupon he chose the name of james h kepner his stepson so that all the mail in regard to this particular business would go in one box and not be mingled with the mail in reference to his individual business or the business represented by the firm to which he belonged what more does he swear that neither dorsey nor any one of these defendants ever suggested that name or even suggested that any such change be made that it was made only as a matter of convenience that it was not intended to and could not in any way defraud the government now mr boone has cleared up a little of this he has cleared up the letter he has cleared up the charge of secrecy he has cleared up the charge that we had the letters addressed to james h kepner and company he has shown that everything done so far was perfectly natural perfectly innocent and in accordance with the habits of men engaged in that business now i come to the next thing page fifteen fifty the next great circumstance in this case the great suspicious circumstance was that the amount of the bid was left blank in the proposals the moment they saw those blanks in the bids they knew then that the government was to be defrauded and they brought mr boone here for the purpose 
of showing that that was done to lay the foundation for a fraud. What does Mr. Boone swear? He swears that he always left that part of the proposal blank, always had done so, had been engaged in the mail business for years, and never filled that blank up in his life in which the amount of the bid should be inserted. It was not left blank to defraud the government, but to prevent the postmasters and sureties or any other persons finding out the amount of the bid. Away goes that suspicious circumstance. After the bids have been properly executed and came back into the hands of the contractors, from the time the figures were put into these routes, what does he say they did? We slept with them until they could get them to the department. He says they never allowed anybody to see them after the amount of the bid had been inserted. That they would not allow anybody to see the amount of the bids, that it was left out, however only for self-protection and for no other reason. That is the government's own witness. He is the man they brought to show that this blank in the bid was a suspicious circumstance. He is the man they brought here to show that, because Stephen W. Dorsey had told him to say nothing to Elkins, that injunction of secrecy was evidence of a conspiracy. At page 1552, Mr. Boone, in speaking of these same things, says that however they were made, whether the name of the bidder or the root was put in or whatever he did, that is Boone, he did not do it for the purpose of defrauding the government. They say to him, Don't you know that you left out not only the amount of the bid but the name of the bidder? He says, Whatever I did, whether I left out the amount of the bid or the name of the bidder, I did not do it for the purpose of defrauding the government. I had no such idea no idea of defrauding the government by leaving any blank or any blanks. He did the work. Stephen W. Dorsey left no blank, A. E. Boone left every blank, and yet they brought him forward to prove that was the result of a conspiracy. And after he comes upon the stand, he swears, I left those blanks myself. I always left them in proposals exactly in that way, and whether I left out the amount of the bid or the name of the bidder, I did not do it to defraud the government. I did it simply to protect myself, as I had the right to do. So much for that. That is gone. So, speaking of these other proposals, the Clendenning proposals, what does Mr. Boone say, the witness of the government, the very man who got up these proposals, the man who wrote them, the man who wrapped them up and sealed them? What does he say? These proposals were not gotten up for the purpose of defrauding the government. I did not send them to Clendenning for that purpose. That is the end of that. No conspiracy there. The object, don't you see, gentlemen, was to show by Boone that he acted under the direction of Dorsey, that Dorsey was responsible for everything that Boone did, and that although Boone was guilty of no crime in leaving the bid blank, still, if he did it by the authority of Dorsey, Dorsey had an ulterior motive of which Boone was ignorant. Let us see. 
On page 1554, Mr. Boone swears that Dorsey never told him at any time or any place that he wanted any blanks left. And yet they were endeavoring, by that witness, to saddle that upon S.W. Dorsey. But that witness swears that Dorsey never even told him that he wanted any blanks left in any paper, proposals, bid, or bond. He says that Dorsey never, at any time or place, told him, Boone, that he, Dorsey, wanted any blanks left, or any proposals of any particular form printed, to the end that a fraud might be perpetrated upon the government. Not a word. And, gentlemen, I am now in that space of time where they say this conspiracy was born. At page 1567, before Miner got here, Mr. Boone swears that Dorsey told him that he would advance money for the other defendants, and Mr. Boone swears that after he got here, he never asked Dorsey for a dollar except through Miner, that Dorsey never gave a dollar except through Miner. What more? This is the witness that is going to establish the guilt of Stephen W. Dorsey. But Stephen W. Dorsey never told Boone at any time that he had any interest whatsoever in those mail routes. Boone never heard of it. Dorsey never told him to print a proposal with a blank, never told him to leave a blank after it was printed, never told him to do anything for the purpose of defrauding the government in any way at any time. This is extremely good reading, gentlemen, when you take into consideration that this is the witness of the government, their main prop, until the paragon of virtue made his appearance on the stand. Page 1558. Another great point, that in preparing these subcontracts, Dorsey having it in his mind to conspire against the government, or really having conspired according to their story, wanted a provision in his subcontract for increase and expedition. Why, it strikes me, gentlemen, that that is evidence of honesty rather than dishonesty. If these subcontracts were to hold good during the contract term, and if in the contract given to the contractor by the government there was a clause for increase and expedition, why should not the subcontract provide for the same contingencies that the contract provided for with the government? That looks honest, doesn't it? It was advertising the subcontractor that the moment he signed his subcontract, the trips were liable to be increased, and the time was liable to be shortened, and that if the time was shortened or the trips increased, the pay was to be correspondingly increased. But I will go on with the testimony. Page 1558. In preparing the subcontract, Mr. Dorsey instructed Boone to provide for an expedition clause. That was a suspicious circumstance. What for? To conform to the expedition clause in the contract with the government. If making it like the government contract is evidence of conspiracy, the fact that the government contracts have that clause is evidence that the government conspired with somebody. It is just as good one way as the other. 
the government made a contract with the contractor, the contractor made one with the subcontractor, and the contractor so forgot his duties, so far forgot his moral obligations, that he made it just the same as the contract with the government. Gentlemen, is there any depth of depravity below that? absolutely copying the contract that the government was going to make with him and treating the subcontractor so far as the contract was concerned as the government had treated him he boone prepared a clause which he thought filled the bill and which he still thinks i believe would have been better to use than the other when he showed that to stephen w dorsey dorsey suggested another form it was the same thing exactly but in different words. There was the testimony I have read to you, and now here is what Mr. Bliss states about it at page 4865. But Stephen W. Dorsey, away back there, knew sufficient about the expedition to appreciate the importance of keeping for the contractors 35%, and giving to the men who were performing the service only 65%. Why not? Is that a crime? Suppose I agreed to carry the mail four years for $10,000 a year, and I subcontract with another man. Have I not got the right to get it carried as cheaply as I can? I just ask you that as a business proposition. Or has every mail to treat this government as though it was in its dotage? Must you do business with the government as though you were contracting with an infant or an idiot? Must you look at both sides of the contract? That is the question. The government, for instance, advertises for so much granite, and I put in a bid which is accepted. At the same time, I know that I could furnish that granite for 25% less. Is it my duty under such circumstances to go and notify the government that I have cheated it, and that I would like to have it put the contract down? There may be heights of morality that would see the propriety of such action, but it is not for everyday wear and tear. Very few people have it. It scarcely ever comes into play in trading horses. Must we treat the government as though it were imbecile? I say it was a simple business transaction. The government advertises for proposals to carry the mail. I make my bid for 10000 and we will say that my bid is accepted. Now, I admit that I could carry it for 5000 and make money. Am I criminal if I go on and perform the contract as agreed and draw the money? Or suppose the people along the route do not want it expedited and increase, so I talk to them about it. I go to Mr. Brown and say, Mr. Brown, you are living in this smart, thriving town, and you need a daily mail. I go to the next village and I say, Why, gentlemen, you'll never have a town here until you have a daily mail. I am the fellow now carrying the mail. And I keep talking about it, you know, and finally get a fellow to get up a petition, or I write one myself, and send it around and say to them, Gentlemen, what you want is more mail, faster mail. The mail is the pioneer of civilization, gentlemen. 
have a daily mail and along the line at once towns and villages and cities will spring up and all the hillsides will be covered with farms and schoolhouses will be there and wealth will be universal any crime about that every railroad has been built just that way every park has been laid out in every city by just such means nearly every street that has been improved has been improved in that way by men who had some interest in the property by men who were to be benefited by it themselves and who ought to be benefited should the men that get the public attention in that direction be benefited or the men who do nothing i say that the men who give attention to the business have a right to be benefited by it and yet here is the crime gentlemen and then we only gave these fellows sixty-five per cent and took thirty-five ourselves because we were bound to the government to fulfil the contract as was explained to you so admirably so perfectly by judge wilson the contract was to run for four years and i believe in a certain contingency for six months thereafter we had to carry out the contract whether the subcontractor carried out his contract with us or not now this is what mr bliss says so after a large mass of subcontracts had been struck from the press which gave to the subcontractors all the increase there never was a subcontract that gave to the subcontractors all the increase there is no evidence that there ever was such a subcontract he that is stephen w dorsey directed them to be put back on the press i should think he would if he found any subcontracts were printed that gave to the subcontractor all the increase i do not wonder that he had them destroyed here you get we will say a contract for ten thousand dollars for one trip with the agreement that if there are two trips the compensation shall be twenty thousand dollars thereupon you make a contract with a subcontractor and you agree in that subcontract that he shall have all the increase of course you want that made over again of course you would not make that kind of a subcontract he directed them to put back on the press and this provision giving the subcontractor his money struck out and this other clause put in gentlemen that is an entire and absolute mistake there is no such evidence there never was in this case and i take it there never will be the evidence was and you remember it and you remember it and you remember it and you addressing different jurors that stephen w dorsey allowed to the subcontractor sixty-five per cent of the expedition and that same subcontractor provided what he should have for one trip and what he should have for two trips that is to say what he should have for increase and it provided at the same time for sixty-five per cent on expedition mr boone swears it others swear it not only that but it is printed in the record again and again and again why did stephen w dorsey do that i can tell you why he did not 
Why did Stephen W. Dorsey do that, if it was not because his fertile imagination had already conceived the plan of defrauding the United States, and he was making an arrangement by which that fraud could be consummated? How could that help him consummate a fraud? Suppose he struck out all the percent to the subcontractors. Suppose he had not any subcontract printed. Suppose the subcontract was printed, and printed on purpose to deceive and defraud the subcontractors. How does that show he was trying to defraud the United States? Why, if it proves anything, it proves the other that he had not entered into a conspiracy by which he could get the money from the United States, but had endeavored to get it from the subcontractors. If it proves anything, it proves that. But the reason it does not prove anything is because the statement is not correct. Now, just see how a conspiracy can be built of that material. A man that can do that can make a cover for Barnum Circus with a postage stamp. He can make a suit of clothes out of a rabbit skin. He can make a grain of mustard seed cover the whole air without growing. That is given as an evidence that Dorsey had conspired. There is not a thing on the earth that he could have done that would not prove conspiracy as well as that. Just exactly. No other act. Hmph. That is the way they build a conspiracy. Why not take another step? Why not have a little bit of ordinary good hard sense? On the 17th day of May, I believe, 1878, the act was passed allowing the subcontractor to put his subcontract on file. Now, that contract ought to provide for all the contingencies of the service, so that if the trips were increased, the government would know how much to pay that subcontractor, so that if the time was expedited, the government would know how much to pay the subcontractor. The subcontract ought to have been made in that way, and it would be perfectly proper to make it in that way. I uh, once went to see a friend of mine, who had the erysipelas, and who was a little crazy. I sat down by his bedside, and he said, Ingersoll, I have made a discovery. I just tell you I am going to be a millionaire. Said I, What is it? He says, I have found out that if four persons take hold of hands after they have had a hole made in the ground and put in a piece of stovepipe in it and then run around it as hard as they can from left to right, a ball of butter will come out of that pipe. Now, I think that is about as reasonable as the way conspiracies are made, according to Mr. Bliss. This ends Chapter 4, Part 16 of 24.